Kings chapter 3, and we'll be right there in just a minute, Second Kings chapter 3, and I want to say what a blessing and a privilege it is to be here at uh, Victory Baptist Church this morning, and I appreciate that good singing. Wasn't that a blessing? And uh, first of all, I'm going to tell you something, I like, uh, I like that picking right there. And uh, and that and gospel bluegrass—that's the greatest music ever. Uh, and I think personally, I don't have a verse exactly on it, but I think that's what's going to be in heaven. It's going to sound a little bit like that. Um, and I did a study in Hebrew or something like that, and I, maybe we could figure it out. But I, I don't, I don't know. I just uh, when I don't have a verse for something, I just tell them it's in Second Opinions twenty-four-seven. That's what I write. And uh, but I like that banjo right there. And uh, we didn't even have, we don't, you know, at our church, we didn't have nobody play the banjo, but I just like one sitting up on the platform, you know, because uh, <laughs> people know if we had somebody, we would be playing one. And, uh, but anyways, I, I thank the Lord for uh, the good music this morning. Those last few songs, I don't know if you caught the theme there, but they were exalting the, the exclusivity of Christ, the singleness of Christ. Just simply put, there ain't nobody like him. There's nobody like him. Where else are we going to go? I like what they were saying and what they were singing. There ain't nobody like him. He's been so good to me. And God has just blessed me more, way, way more than what, I, what I've ever deserved. And uh, I, don't, I don't have any complaints, no sad stories. And, uh, and I'm just thankful, thankful to be, to be in this thing. And I'm glad to be here this morning. 2 Kings chapter 3. And uh, I did want to say, and I may say a little bit more tonight, possibly about how God worked in our life and evangelism and all that. Probably most people aren't interested, but I like telling it, and so I may say something tonight. But, but I do want to say this morning before I get started, I, I get the updates in my email from the press, Victory Baptist Press, and uh, I just want to say thank God for 40 years of, uh, of printing and publishing the Word of God, and uh, what a blessing it is. And I just want to thank you for uh, the work and the sacrifice and the labor, the support and everything this church does to keep the presses rolling and going. And I don't even know everybody that does everything, but I'm just thankful for it. And uh, I preached at a church last uh, Sunday in South Carolina, and uh, sure, I didn't know anybody there. I, didn't, I had no idea. I didn't even know the pastor. Never met, I never even met the pastor in person. And uh, it was just all through uh, text messages and things like that. We set it up. And uh, so I was a little nervous. A big church, about 300 people packed in that building. It was like a homecoming. You know, everybody comes for homecoming for food, food you know. And it wasn't because of the announced preacher. It was because of the, the food. But uh, they are packed in that building. I didn't know anybody there. I was nervous. I'll get out. And I looked over and I walked in and I saw um, uh, Brother Bill and Miss Vicki uh, Richburg in there. And I said, praise the Lord. I said, there's somebody I know. That's a blessing. I told Brother Bill, I said, if it looks like I'm preaching right to you, I said, I'm not mad at you. I said, you're just the only person I know in here. So I'm going to preach to you. And you say, amen, help me out. So, and uh, it's one of their supporting churches. They were just dropping in. They didn't know I was going to be there, which made me feel bad. I was hoping they were there because they, they saw where I was going to preach there. He didn't have to say that, but, but he did. But anyways, uh, so I appreciate, appreciate the press. We've been praying for... Uh, praying for uh, Miss Mary, praying for the preacher's mother and brother Jim. Just uh, thank God for them and and uh, thank God for the press. All right, Second Kings chapter three, and uh, I'm going to let you remain seated if that's all right. I'm not sure what the custom normally is, but I'm going to read about 20 verses, and I I hope that's not more Bible than you've read in the last 30 days, but. <laughs> Uh, it might be for some of you, and I just feel led. I thought, well, maybe I'll just read this, and I just feel led to read to read this entire text. It's about twenty verses, so let's uh, we'll try to stay together and stay focused, and uh, try to get what the Lord has for us 
out of these verses here. Beginning in verse 1, 2 Kings 3, verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father or like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. And Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep master, and rendered unto the king of Israel an hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel and went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, The way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a... And not hear a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What am I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And, he came, and it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. See, there's the banjo right there in verse number 15. It's got to be. It's got to be. Verse 16, And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beast. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and, and fell every good tree and stop it all wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that behold, there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. Just for a few moments this morning, I want to preach on this thought. Grace in a desperate place. Grace in a desperate place. Father, we love you. We're thankful for, Lord, the good singing and just the opportunity to worship you through those songs this morning and with those songs. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'd continue to stir our hearts and speak to us through the preaching of the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your Word, bless the preaching of your Word. And I pray that you'd help me, fill me with the Holy Spirit of God, and use me for your glory. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we would see your goodness and your grace in this text. And God, you would, you would encourage our hearts from the Word of God. And we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the honor, we'll give you every single ounce of glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, our text this morning introduces us to a... Uh, 
a, a new administration, a new king. His name is Jehoram. He is the son of Ahab. Ahab has died, and Ahaziah, Ahab's elder son, took over the throne. But his administration, his reign did not last very long. You can read chapter 1 and find out where uh, he, he, had a, uh, he had a bad fall. And because of that fall, uh, he, uh, he passed away. And when he did, he did not have a son to, uh, to assume uh, the throne after him. And so his brother, Jehoram, uh, became king of Israel, that northern territory uh, in the divided kingdom. And so now we have Jehoram sitting on the throne. And it describes a few things about what takes place at the very beginning of his ministration, at the early, during the early years of his, uh, of his reign. First of all, in the first couple verses, we find uh, Jehoram's sin. We see his sin. Do you see that in verses 2 and 3? The Bible says that he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, we see his sin. Uh, and that it's a very interesting qualification that it gives about his sin because it says that, that he did not sin like his father and like his mother. Of course, that would be, that would be very bad. That's Ahab and Jezebel, probably some of the most wicked rulers that Israel had ever known. And uh, it wasn't as bad as his mother and father, but, uh, but he still cleaved into the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, verse 3 says. I thought about this. I thought about how a lot of times we compare ourselves among ourselves, don't we? Say, well, at least it's not as bad as so-and-so. It's not as bad as somebody else. But according to the Bible, in the sight of the Lord, verse 2 says, it was still evil in the sight of the Lord. Wrong is wrong is wrong is wrong. No matter who you compare it to and who you might feel like you're better than, it still does not matter. It does not matter what other. It does not matter about other people's sight. It doesn't matter about your sight. It's what it looks like in the sight of the Lord. Lord. And in the sight of the Lord, it was evil, the Bible says. And so we see, his, we see his sin. God doesn't necessarily give credit for halfway good. He desires our whole heart, doesn't he? The greatest commandment, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. I think it was Adrian Rogers that said, if that is the greatest commandment, then to fail to obey that commandment would be the greatest sin. It's to not love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. So we see his sin. And then the following verses, verse 4 and 5, we see his struggle in the these verses right here. Uh, Misha, the king of Moab, decides that this uh, transition, this new administration, is a perfect opportunity. This isn't the elder son of Ahab. Uh, he has passed away. This is the younger son. This is a son that thought he would never sit on the throne. Maybe he's ill-prepared for the task. Maybe this would be a good time to catch him off guard because Moab and the king of Moab, Misha, they have been under the thumb of Israel. They are being taxed. Uh, by the nation of Israel. They rendered, verse 4 said, to the king of Israel, a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But after the death of Ahab, uh, Misha got a little antsy. He's ready to throw a tea party. No more taxes. We're, we're, done with, uh, we're done with paying these high taxes. And so he's going to rebel. And so we see the struggle that comes to this new administration. And that brings us to the following verses, verse 6 and following to his strategy, Jehoram's strategy, uh, he decides, uh, well, I need to, uh, I need to keep uh, Misha in line. Uh, we don't need to lose the revenue that's coming into Israel, so we're going to have to do something. So he numbers Israel, the Bible says in verse number 6, and obviously he fi finds out, figures out that, you know, maybe we don't have enough people to... Um, 
uh, to, uh, uh, to go against Moab. Maybe we're not strong enough. And so he calls upon the king of, of Judah. Judah would be the southern t- territory. And you have the north and the south, Israel and Judah. And, and, and he calls upon the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, uh, to help him. And Jehoshaphat agrees to help him uh, get Moab back in line. They pick up uh, the king of Edom and the armies of Edom uh, while they're on their way. And their strategy is to circle around... They're going to take a, the Bible calls it a seven day compass. The word compass is just a circular motion, is what that is. They're going to come around to the south of Moab. They're going to flank Moab from the south and swing around and, and, uh, and go through the wilderness of Edom and try to get them uh, from, the, from the south. And so you have these three kings. Uh, they are marching through the desert. They are out in the wilderness of Edom. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, they're too far from everything. And uh, when they find out that they have no water to drink. That is their situation. Verse number 9. They went out there with no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. They are absolutely in a desperate situation. They are in a desperate place. They are out in the middle of nowhere with no water to drink uh, and the armies of Moab not too far in front of them. They are in a vulnerable position. They have gotten themselves into a horrible place. And you see what Jehoram did. His very first reaction to being in this desperate situation in verse number 10. He says, Alas! The Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. The very first thing Jehoram says is, this is God judging us. How horrible it is. Look what God has done to us. He maligns God. He he accuses God. He slanders God and blames it on the sovereignty of God. Can I just stop right here and say this, that not everything that you go through is all God's fault. Sometimes it's not his sovereignty, it's your stupidity. (laughs) Is it all right to say it like that? If you're not supposed to use that word, don't use that word, all right. But sometimes it is. It's just my own stupidity. It's not God. God didn't didn't put me here. It wasn't like Jehoram called on God and God said, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to go around through the wilderness of Edom. God didn't tell him to go there. Jehoram's not thinking of God. He's not acknowledging the Lord in all his ways and trusting God with all of his heart and and looking to God to direct his paths. That's not what Jehoram is doing. He got himself in the middle of nowhere uh, with no water to drink. I saw a sign that said that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions. Amen. I felt, uh, I felt personally attacked reading that side. I thought, you know what? Uh, I, that's exactly where I am a lot of times. I get myself into these jams. You ever do that? You ever get yourself in just a jam in a desperate situation and, uh, and you think, man, and, and, uh, and, and, and Jehoshaphat had the right idea. In verse number 11, he didn't accuse God. He, he, he said, let's, let's go to God. By the way, can I just throw this in here right here? And that is when you're in a desperate place and when you're in a desperate situation, listen, don't run from God. Run to God. 
don't, don't run away from God and don't run God down. That's exactly what Jehoram was doing. He's going to run God down. How horrible he is. Look what he's done to us. And man, he's out here. He brought us out here just to kill us and just to judge us. And I'm going to tell you something. Don't, don't run away from God. Run to God. I'm glad he is a refuge in a time of trouble. I'm glad he is a God of grace and he is a God of mercy and he is a God of goodness and love. And I, I, he delights in those. I, I read this verse in the Psalms just the other day and underlined it in my Bible. He delights in those that hope in his mercy. I like that. Those that hope, just go to God and say, Lord, I don't deserve anything but Lord I need your help and Jehoshaphat says is there is there a prophet is there somebody we can go to let's get a hold of God and, and, and take our desperate situation to him and of course we know the end of the story in verse number 20 we know what God does what does God do he sends water in the middle of of their wilderness. It didn't come from rain. It didn't come from wind. There wasn't a storm. It, ca- it came from the, from the gracious hand of an almighty God. A water. And I'm glad we have a God that can provide water in our wilderness. In our desperate situations, He can provide the resources that we need uh, to make it through this life. What a gracious hand. And you know, I can, I can understand uh, God doing it for a, a good king. I can understand God doing it for somebody that was trying to honor God and somebody that loved Him and was, worshipped Him exclusively. I can, but how many of you see in our text, God saved and God sustained a king uh, who had got himself into this situation without God, who didn't care anything about God, who wasn't thinking about God, who, who, who had didn't have God on his mind, and yet God sustained him anyway. Can I tell you, what do you call that when, when, when God is good to somebody and God helps somebody and God provides somebody that does not deserve it and has not earned it and, 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 and absolutely deserves If anybody deserves just to shrivel up in the wilderness, uh, it ought to be Jehoram just because of he's a, uh, he's a member of a family that, I mean, they're, they're, they're God slanderers and Jehovah haters and prophet killers and that's that's his heritage that's his legacy and he was kind of continuing pretty much in that same vein and if anybody deserves just to dry up shrivel away and and, and be in the desert or be defeated by the armies of Moab listen it ought to be this king right here but yet God helped him anyway what do you call it when God is good to somebody that don't deserve it you call it grace that's why we call it amazing grace because none, none, can I just tell you something? Listen, none of us in here deserve anything. You know that, right? Listen, we ought to be in hell this morning is what we deserve. I don't know about you, but man, that's what I deserve this morning. I, listen, I, I, I've not done anything to deserve the good. I mean, the goodness. I just sit here thinking as they were singing this morning, just how good God has been to me in my life. And man, where else would I want to go? I mean, where? I mean, God has given me everything, and God has absolutely been good to me. But I want to tell you something. I I've not been near as good to Him as he has been to me. I've not been near as faithful to him as he has been to me. I've not loved him near as much as he has loved me and anything that he pours on my life and bestows on my life, that is grace. And I'm glad that God is a God that gives us grace in our desperate place. In our desperate places. I was thinking as I read just kind of between the the, the problem and the answer to the problem about how God's grace came to Jehoram, how God's grace touched his life in this desperate place. Let me just give you a few thoughts before we go home. 
Number one, I want you to see first of all that grace came from an abiding presence. Grace came from an abiding presence. Well, we noted in verse number 11 that Jehoshaphat says, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord? Let's go to God. Jehoshaphat uh, was somebody that loved God and honored God, acknowledged God in all of his ways. And we may say a little bit more about him in just a moment, but, but, but he's the one that said, let's, 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 let's go to God. Let's find, a, let's find a prophet. He said, is there not a prophet of the Lord here? And this is what is interesting to me. This caught me, this caught me a little bit off guard and by surprise. I never I know I was kind of preaching through the life of Elisha, and so I was keeping up tracking Elisha here. And, and, then, and then I noticed in this verse, in verse 11, uh, that Elisha is here with them in the middle of this wilderness. Do you see that in verse number 11? One of the, one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha. I underlined that, that, that word here. I circled that word here, right there. Here he is. Now, that's interesting to me. Elisha, in the previous chapter, he's just uh, acquired the mantle. He's acquired the ministry of his, uh, of his mentor, Elijah. And now the, the care of these schools of the prophets, they have fallen upon him. Uh, we find him in chapter 2. He's already beginning to make his circuit, you know, to Jericho and Bethel and all these things. And in the, in the following chapter, chapter 4, he's back on his circuit. He's traveling around and, and, and checking on these school, these little seminaries, if you will, these schools of the prophets. And, and, and he's doing the ministry and miracles and all these things. And I'm thinking, what in the world is Elisha doing seven days out in the middle of the wilderness, out in the middle of the desert of Edom? I mean, I don't think Jehoram didn't know that he was there. Uh, Jehoshaphat did not know that he was there. Uh, The king of Edom certainly did not know that he was there. Just one of the servants of of Jehoram just happened to see him and said, "You you know, we were packing up our stuff the other day and packing up our tent and moving on. You know, you're not going to believe who I saw. I saw Elisha. I saw the prophet. Uh, he was traveling with us. And it's, it's amazing to me that Elisha, all the things that was on his plate and all the, all, all the, all the things, the responsibilities that he had, that, that Elisha would pack up his stuff and march. He's not a soldier. He's a prophet. What in the world is he doing marching out in the middle of the wilderness uh, with, the, with the armies of Israel and the armies of Judah and the armies of Edom? What in the world is he doing out there? Well, listen, I don't know. Maybe. God uh, woke Elisha up one morning and said, all right, boy, pack your bags, all right? And uh, I, got a, I got a job for you. I want you to go out there with those armies. Uh, listen, they're making a mistake. They're going to get in a mess. They're going to need somebody to help them out. I want you to go with them. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he always did something like this. I can't find that anywhere else in marching around with armies out in the middle of nowhere. But my point is this. My point is when they needed somebody, when the armies of Israel were there in a desperate place and they needed somebody, I just can't help but notice there he was and can I tell you something about God's grace isn't it the same way in our life it don't matter how far you've gone and don't matter what situation you have got yourself in it don't even matter it's your fault you made a bad bed and now you're having to lie in it can I tell you something about God's grace listen it is there for us in our desperate situations when we have made a mess of everything and we have just ruined everything and we have just done I mean the I mean just 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 not acknowledge God not ask 
asked God, not, not prayed about it, but we get ourselves in a mess anyway. Can I tell you, you don't have to look far. Grace has made the trip with you. Grace goes the distance. Grace uh, takes the journey with you even when you're not going the place and God not going the direction you're supposed to be going. God's grace still goes with you in the middle of your wilderness. You say, well, that ain't right. Why would God do that? Well, that's just what grace is. Grace is what you don't deserve. And I'm glad, I thank God this morning that in the situations of my life, whenever I've needed the Lord, He was not too far away. And He stayed with them. And He followed them. And he, 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 was, he was right there with them. He did not interrupt them. He did not say, hey, y'all are getting yourself into trouble. He didn't say, hey, listen, there's no water up ahead. He didn't, Elisha didn't do anything. He just simply shut his mouth and he followed along. But he was probably, maybe he was mumbling under his breath, hold on, these bunch of idiots, you know, they don't know what they're doing and everything. And maybe he's doing that, I don't know. But, but he's following them along the whole way. And, and, right, and when they need him, there he is. I have found God's grace to be so faithful. And when I need Him, here He is. But Lord, I'm out here. I've, I've wandered all the way out here in the middle of nowhere, got myself in a mess. God says, that's all right. Here I am. Amen. And that's not, a, that's not an excuse to abuse His grace or turn into licentious, but it is just exalting the grace of God and thanking Him for being there for us even when we get ourselves in a desperate situation. Grace came from this abiding presence, Elisha, traveling with them in the wilderness, going out in the middle of their situation, going with them. But not only grace came from an abiding presence, but secondly, let me, let me note this, that grace came through an acceptable person. I want you to see that grace came through an acceptable person. Well, Jehoshaphat says in verse number 12, he said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, they went down to him. Talking about Elisha. And I, I, love, I love verse number 13. I, I, love, I love this so much. Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. Can I let you in on a little secret? Every pastor has secretly always wanted to say that to somebody. <laughs> I've always wanted to say you know, somebody come, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you go, uh, you know, they, they get yourself in a situation, they want to come to the preacher and get some help, and I want to be like, why don't you go to that softball team you've been missing church for? Why don't you, uh, why don't you ask them to help you out? Why don't you go down there, you know, all those friends, and, and why don't you, you know, why don't you go ask all them other people over there? Okay, I've never said, for the record, I never have said that. <laughs> not quite, not to them. <laughs> My wife hears a lot of stuff. <laughs> But man, I admire, I've always, like that right there, it's like, man, I've always wanted to do that right there. I've always just wanted to say, yeah, I told you so. Go ask somebody else to help you out. Why don't you go there? Well, how about them prophets? How about, how about all, you know, Jezebel, your mama killed all, the, uh, killed all the good ones, you know, tried to stamp out all the good ones and has all, you know, all the, all the hurt prophets of Baal. Why don't you go ask them, where, where are they at? I don't see any around here. Do you see any around here? Oh, they're not here. How about that? Oh, I love it. I love Elisha's sarcasm right here. I think, I think he's kind of in, he might even be in a bad mood. I read some commentators that said that they were really, uh, that were really uh, accusing Elisha of being a little hateful and a little rude, and that's why he had to have somebody with a banjo come play and make them feel better, you know. <laughs> Bring me a minstrel, you know. He just said, look, I need somebody to calm my nerves down. I don't like you. 
And the feeling was mutual. Uh, I mean, Jehoram didn't like Elisha, and Elisha didn't like Jehoram. They, we could say that they were enemies, right? We could say that they were at enmity one with another. We could say that, that they, they were not fond of one another. They did not want to have any... Elisha didn't want to have anything to do with, with uh, Jehoram, and Jehoram didn't want to have anything to do with Elisha. But how did they get connected? How did the grace come uh, from Elisha? Of course, from God, through Elisha, and to Jehoram in his... This desperate situation. Well, it says right here in verse 14, And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely, look at this, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. Do you notice that you have two that are at odds with one another, but the only way that they are able to reconcile, the only way that they are able to get together is there had to be a reconciler in the middle. There had to be an intercessor in the middle. There had to be a middle man. Jehoshaphat was that middle man. And Elisha said, I wouldn't even look at you. I wouldn't have anything to do with you if it were not for Jehoshaphat. Now listen, I don't know about you, but when I started reading that, I started thinking about Jesus. Jesus right there. I couldn't help but think about the Lord Jesus. I started getting a whiff of the gospel right there. Do y'all smell that a little bit? Listen, God shouldn't have anything to do with us. He shouldn't even look in our direction at all. And the only reason that God, the holy God of heaven, has anything to do with us is because of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something? If it were not for an acceptable person, Jesus Christ, the God-man Christ Jesus, that one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, if it were not for Him, there would be no grace for us at all. We stand in His presence. We receive His grace based solely on the merits of somebody else. And that somebody else is Jesus. For Jehoram, it was Jehoshaphat. For us, it is Jesus. I thought, jumping Jehoshaphat, that's Jesus right there. There he is. Man, isn't that amazing? And Jehoshaphat's a very interesting character. He's a great type of Christ in some ways. There's no true types. It all breaks down somewhere. But, but you just get these little, these little glimpses of the gospel, these little hints in there. You know, Jehoshaphat, you can read about him. He was a great king. Jehoshaphat, uh, he, he, he walked in the ways of his father David. He was a, he was a, a man that, that, that served God. He got rid of a lot of the idolatry in the land of Judah and did a lot of good things. He wasn't a perfect man. There were a few things, but, but his main hookup, his main hang-up, I should say, his main blemish on his record, he had one, he had one, thing, he had one thing that was wrong with him. He was, great, he was a great king in every way almost except for just one thing that he, could, that he just could not overcome. You know some people, they're just, they, they're good, I mean, they're just great. And some of them, there's just one thing that just drives you crazy. You know, that, that girl, she's so pretty, but she just doesn't have any teeth, you know, or just... You know, just, just that one thing. If it wasn't for that one thing, I mean, everything would just be, would be perfect, you know. Uh, jo- Jehoshaphat is like that. Just one thing. And you'll find his one thing that, that, that kept, that it was a blemish on his record was he had a soft spot in his heart for ungodly people. 
He could not say no. Ahab, Joshua, I need you to help me out. He said, all right, my people is your people, my army is your armies, my horse is your horses. And he just kept identifying. And then he did it with Ahaziah, and then he did it with uh, uh, Jehoram here. He could, and he was judged for that. God judged him. God rebuked him because of his affinity with Ahab. God rebuked him. By the way, listen, you ought not to, uh, listen, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. I'm not, I'm not encouraging that at all. I'm just saying what a picture that is of the heart of Christ. Now, he's perfect in every way, but yet he has a soft spot in his heart for the ungodly. When the ungodly, when the rebel calls to him and says, please help me, I need your help. Uh, he is there for us. And aren't you glad that Jesus is there for the ungodly? That Jesus loves the rebel and Jesus loves the renegade and Jesus loves that one that is at enmity with God. And the only reason Jehoram got any grace at all was because Jehoshaphat was there. And the only reason we get any grace at all is because of Jesus. And I thank God for that. Grace came from an abiding presence. This grace was going with him. Elisha was with him every step of the way. They didn't even know it, but there he was. Grace came through an acceptable person. He received this grace based solely on the merits of somebody else, not because he deserves it. But let me say this, last thing I'm done, that grace came as an abundant provision. An abundant provision. It's amazing to me, of course, there's so much in here. There's a lot in there about the, the, the ditches, and there's a message in that, no doubt about that. But I want you to skip down to verse, uh, verse number 18. Uh, verse number 17, let's read that. And, and for thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beast. Look at verse number 18. I underline this in my Bible. It says, and this is but a light thing. So this ain't nothing. In fact, you, you, you come here asking for water because you want to survive in the wilderness. But let me tell you, He will deliver the Moabites also, underline that word also, into your hand. You know what Elisha said? I'm going to give you more than what you even asked for. And isn't that the very definition of grace? Grace is God. You know, mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. Really, water in the wilderness, water that filled these ditches, that would really be mercy is what that was because they were going to die in the wilderness. The water was the mercy of God. But God said, I tell you what, I, that's just a light thing. That's just a little thing. I, I can do so much more than that. I can do a lot more than water. You think that's amazing? Listen, I'm about to blow your mind. <laughs> I'm not only going to give you water in the wilderness, but I'm going to give you the victory over your enemy, Moab. I'm going to give you complete victory. He says in verse 19, ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop all wells of water and mar every good piece of land. I underline every, 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 all, every. I don't know, that is complete. That is 100%. He said, I'm not only going to sustain you, I'm not just going to give give you a drink in the wilderness so you can march into battle and die. I am going to take that very water that sustains you and I'm going to use that as the means to bring about a victory over the Moabites 
And you read the rest of the chapter, it was the water. It was the water that actually scared off the Moabites and caused them to hurt themselves is what it was. It saved the people of God and it hurt the, uh, and, it, and it defeated the enemy. The very thing that saved them judged uh, the enemy. What an amazing thing that is. But I was just thinking about the grace of God and how I thought that's exactly how God's grace comes. You're in a desperate situation. You're in a desperate place. You're just praying sur- for survival. And how many times has God not only just answered a prayer for survival, but then God has heaped upon you His grace and gave you blessings. Isn't that that way with salvation? I don't know about you, but when I come to God to be saved, I, just, I didn't want to go to hell. Is anybody like that? I was scared, man. I, I was nine years old, and, uh, and no matter how old you are, listen, but I was nine years old when I got saved, and I just remembered, I, man, there was conviction so heavy in my heart, and I thought, I just do not want to die and go to hell. God, I don't want to go to hell. Please don't let me go to hell. And you know what I found out? Listen, I got saved. I'm not going to hell. Isn't that a blessing? Thank God for it. He has sustained me for all of eternity. I am secure for all of eternity. But listen, can I tell you something? Man, God's been much much better to me than just not letting me go to hell. Man, God has heaped upon me victory after victory after victory after victory. And that same salvation that sustains me is also just blessing the fire out of me along the way. I thank God for His grace. It comes as abundant. God does much more than what we could ever imagine, what we could ever ask for. God, just help me. Lord, we get in this desperate situation. Lord, just just fix this problem. And God not only fixes the problem, but He does a lot more than what you ever thought. He gave them what they they actually needed, not even just what they were praying for, but but what He knew they needed in their life. And that is the grace of God in a desperate place. Man, there's been so many times, preacher, there's been so many times where I, I man, I've got to put myself in situations where I, you know, I feel like, man, I'm on my own, you know, because I, I got myself in this situation. I didn't, I didn't pray like I should have. I didn't acknowledge God. I didn't go through the things that, I know, maybe, maybe, a, maybe, maybe, I was sincere about it. Maybe I was rebellious about it. There's been times, but, but, I, but for whatever reason, I just got myself into a mess. And I thought, you know what? I got myself into this mess. I'm just going to have to try to get myself out of it. But listen, God, God doesn't just save you. And God doesn't just help you in storms that He created for you. And sometimes He does that, right? Sometimes there's storms because... There's sovereign storms. He, he puts us in there so we can learn Him and love Him and trust Him. And there's sometimes we get in predicaments and get in situations because we just, we just made a big mess of our, own, of our own decisions and our own choices. And I'm glad even in those, even in those situations, I'm glad there's grace. And if I could encourage you to do anything this morning, it would be Jehoshaphat's reaction to the situation. And that was, let's go to God. Let's go to God. Because I'm going to tell you what you'll find. You're not going to find, a lot of people think, man, I got myself in this situation. If I go to God, he's going to hit me over the head with a big stick. You know, he's going to, he's going to be mad at me. He's going to judge me. He's going to check. If I go to God, can I tell you something? If God wants to hit you over the head with a big stick, he knows where you live. Like, he can hit you over the head. He, if, he wants to, if he wants to, you know, zap you with a bolt of lightning, he could do it any time. It's not that, oh, here you are. I've been looking for you. Pfft. That ain't how God works. 
No, if you've got yourself in a situation, I want you to run to him because you'll find that he's a gracious God. He's a gracious God. And he has grace in our desperate places. Let's stand. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the help that we get from your word. Thinking about the grace, God, that you have for us in our desperate places. And I don't know hardly anybody in this building. Lord, I don't know the situations, but God, there may be some people in some desperate places, some desperate situations right now. And maybe it's of their own doing. Maybe it's because they didn't think about you. They didn't pray. They didn't, they didn't acknowledge you in all, your, all their ways and trust in you with all their heart. Lord, they got themselves in a mess, and they think because they've got themselves in a mess, they got to get themselves out of it. God, I pray you speak to that one's heart this morning. Lord, that may be far away from you, and they're ashamed. They're ashamed to come to you. Lord, may they not die in the desert. May they not shrivel up in the wilderness. God, may they come to you and find grace can be had because you're present, and because of Jesus, and because you want to give us much more than what we even are thinking that we even need. God, I pray that you would do the work that needs to be done this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.